0: So, you know, we're doing a series called In Due Time. Um, If you have not heard any of these messages, um, just really quickly, at the end of last year, somewhere in October, I just felt like God said it was time. uh, Actually, what I felt like you said was, it's time. And then I was like, the next couple months, I'm like, it's time for what? It's time for what? It's time for the Wolf Pack to beat the Tar Heels. (laughs) Obviously, that wasn't it. (laughs) Jeez. Boy, that was flat. It's almost like all the, tar- all the State fans have given up, so there's no point. Um, and in, in, during Christmas, we were watching The Chosen Christmas. It was phenomenal. And as we watched the, the scene where Mary was telling Joseph, it's time to get, it's time, for, it's time, it's time, God said, it's time to give birth. And so we're doing a series at the beginning of this year called It's Due Time, D-U-E. I also feel like in God's, He shared, He spoke it to me. I know He spoke it through uh, Richard one one Sunday here. It's not just D U E time, it's D O time, right? It's due time, but we're giving birth to something we're going to go do. And so I've I've already told you this. I'm just going to some of y'all we hear the word prophetically and we get a little freaked out like, oh, what's that mean? But prophetically just means that we're just speaking out what God's fixing to do, right? So let me just speak to you prophetically for just a second. I've already told you that this is a year when our church, we've had so many people have visions and dreams of our church just busting out through the doors and the windows. That he, what he's doing in here, y'all, it was never meant to just stay here, right? And so how many ladies in the house that have given birth, raise your hands. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hand up if at around week 37 or 38 you said things like, I hope this can last forever. Right. really? At thirty nine? Week forty? At some point you were like, Get out. Maybe? No? You were good. Okay, you're good with it. Um I, I'm a man, so around week two, I'd be like, get out, right? What what he's birthing is to is is for movement. It's it's a it's gonna change us. It's gonna change how we do things. Um he's calling us to move out with what he's growing in our church that's important right it's important for us to remember that that's the, the whole reason of this is not so that we can enjoy but that we can go do but we have to know what we're doing before we go do it yes? yes and so that's what we've been talking about we're we've called this birthing revival right um and so we've got to figure out what what is revival what does that look like what does it mean when i say we say revival what people can think of a billion things and so today's message, we're just going to talk about simplifying what this is all about, right? So you're going to walk out of here, hopefully, if we do this right, you're going to walk out of here with one thing, okay? Now, here's what the end of the service is going to look like. I'm going to preach for a few minutes, and then at the end, people are going to be at the altars. And the band's going to be playing, and you're gonna, we're going to be talking to God. Because I know what He put on my heart, y'all. This is not going to be one of those like I was really. I'm going to think about that. This is like cut to the heart. Like I need to respond now. Okay. So when that happens, don't freak out. Okay. Last week was um, week one A. We we don't have to go catch it. I didn't think I was going to be part of the series, but it was such a great word that we just put it online as week one A. But this is week two. So. Here's, here's the title of the message. Bye-bye, Man Cave. Everybody say bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye-bye Man Cave. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to give you a, couple, uh, a big idea, a couple points. We're going to talk through it. A lot of Scripture, okay? So if you're a note taker, I'll tell you like, when to write down these verses. Here's your big idea. We move the most for what matters the most. Now, if you're here and you're not convinced about Jesus, that's fine for this first part. Let's just talk about life. You move the most for what matters the most. When things start to go crazy in your life, you will move all kinds of stuff out of the way for the very thing that you say is most important. That's why if you think that you're not going to get the raise at work and how people view you is, it matters to you and, and your value is placed in your position at work, you will cancel everything you have on your plate to go attack that one thing so you will get that raise. If your child got sick tomorrow, you would sell your house to raise the money to pay the bills that you still can't afford to pay. We move the most for what matters the most. Make sense? So if that's true, if you're tracking with me, we better know what matters the most. Wait, let's rephrase that. Maybe we better know what should matter the most right because everybody has a most everybody has something that they're living for you're going to say no to a bunch of things so you can say yes to the thing that matters the most to you right so you, we need to know what that that thing should be what is that thing that we should say yes to that we should say yes to not that we are saying yes to we're going to cheat somebody we're going to cheat something we need to make sure we're not cheating the most important thing, right? So, um, Exodus chapter 33, I'll give you a second to find that. If you've got your physical Bible, if you got an app, Exodus chapter 33, it's the second book of the Bible. I should probably find it too. Exodus chapter 33. Um, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but there's... Um, at the beginning of this chapter, God actually comes to Moses, and he says this. Listen, that promised land that I told you I was going to take you to, it's yours. Everybody say amen. And then God said, I'm not going to go with you. It's in there. You can read it for yourself. The first four verses of the chapter, God says, that, that land that's flowing with milk and honey, with all the ites in it, all the bad people in it, hey, it's yours. Go get it. I'll even send an angel to accompany you on the way to get it, but I'm not going to go with you, because I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Basically, parents in the room, can you relate? Um, I love you, but pff, you're not going to live much longer if you keep this up, right? That's how God was with His children. It's like you guys are stubborn, and I if I, I, I want to be with you, but if I'm with you, my holiness is going to kill you. So I'm just going to let you you go ahead, go get the promise. And, and the whole chapter is basically Moses saying to God, and he says this at the very end of the chapter. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people where we, unless you go with us? Listen to this statement from Moses to God. What else will distinguish us and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If you don't get anything else out of this message, can I just drill down on that? What makes you and I different from the rest of the culture is not that you're sitting in church right now. It's not that you give an offering. It's not that you read the Bible. It's not that you pray for people. Those are all great things. Moses didn't say, what else will distinguish us? I mean, I, w- I want to make sure that they know we're different because we follow the Ten Commandments. I want to make sure they know that we're different because we, like, kill animals. He could have named a whole bunch of things. He said the only thing that will set us apart from everybody else on the earth is if you're with us. Your presence, if it's with us. Back up a few verses. In verse 11, I believe it is. 14, 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. This is Moses would go in the tent of meeting and he would meet with God. Can you imagine this face to face? Holy cow. And then he would go back to his tent and look what would happen. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is a culture of presence. This is a culture where Moses is like, "Uh, um, God, if you don't go with us, (laughs) we're not moving. And he had a young aide who saw that and started to value what the leader valued. You you with me? And so Joshua's like, I know that Moses got done and he went back to his tent, but now I'm going to hang out right here. I'm going to stay at the tent where the presence of God is I love this for a couple of reasons. I'm practical. So at the end of this message, when we boil this down to the one thing that I think we should be about, what's going to happen is I'm not sure how many people we have here. I'm just evangelistically speaking, a thousand. I don't, I don't know. There's over a hundred in the room. Yes, I'm probably a good bit over a hundred. So there's at least that many ways to apply what we're going to talk about, right? We all have to kind of figure that out. And what I love about this is Moses didn't love the presence of God less than Joshua. And I've heard people preach that. Well, Joshua, he was God's man because he loved the presence of God. Dude, Moses met with God face to face. He loved the presence of God, and so did Joshua. They just had different ways of living it out. Joshua was like, I I just had not gotten enough yet, so I'm going to stay a little bit longer. And there's, there's room in the, in the family of God to figure out rhythms and seasons and how this plays out in our lives, right? There's room for that. Listen to this. There's room for figuring out how we each steward the presence of God, but there is no room for deciding whether or not we will value it. I should say that again. There is room for figuring out how we each steward the presence of God, but there is no room for deciding whether or not we value it. This is this is a message about value. We move the most for what matters the most, or we move the most for for what we value the most. Right? This is this would be a terrible example, but I've I know people who have not been present at, like, their kid's party because they were trying to make substitutions on their fantasy football team. That's crazy, right? And I've repented. <laughs> no, I never did that. That's crazy. But, but you also know people. Have you ever watched them, like, at a restaurant? And you're like, that looks like such a happy family. They should probably talk to each other. Right? We, what we matter the most, we, we show what we value the most by what we're willing to move the most for. I will clear my schedule so that I don't miss the game. I will clear my schedule so that I don't fill in the blank. Right? We move the most for what matters the most. And that's exactly what Moses was saying. Like, the only thing that matters to me, God, is not the promise, but your presence. And if you don't go with me, I'm, this is where I'm staying, don't make me go. Don't call us up here if you're not going to go with us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, just jot this down. This is where Paul's talking to Timothy. He's kind of giving him some last-minute pastor-to-pastor instruction. And this, by the way, we feel like is probably um, the verse for the year for us. So two, two, two in twenty twenty-two. And God says this to Paul to Timothy: the things you have heard me say in the presence. Where did it happen? In the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What was he saying to entrust to other men? Things that he had heard and learned in the presence of reliable witnesses, in the presence of people, right? Because if I value his presence and you value his presence, we're probably going to value his presence together. That's the way that works. And so even that statement from Paul, like, whatever you've heard me say in the presence of witnesses, take that and entrust it to others who are reliable. And what he's saying is this presence thing, it's too valuable, to just give it to anybody. So don't just give it to anybody. Like it's weighty, carry it with value, right? Like nobody, nobody, I pray nobody, if you've done this, gosh, God forgive you, nobody gets down on their knee and says, hey babe, would you maybe be the happiest man on the earth and marry me, and flips the ring, right? Nobody does that. They like trembling hands. <laughs> Hands them the ring, puts it on, holds it. Like I, I, I proposed in the ocean. <laughs> it was fantastic. And she was like, don't get that ring out of the box. Because we were like in ankle-deep water. She's like, She could picture the ring in Europe somewhere, right? <laughs> like we, we don't treat carelessly things that are valuable. We don't want to do that with the presence of God either. And what Paul's saying is: this gospel, this presence of God, this story about a, a God who was far away and came near to us, that story that is so weighty and valuable. Hey, entrusted to reliable men. It's all about presence. It's all about presence. The things that he had heard were in the presence of men. It was given to people who value that. Philippians chapter 3. This is the same Paul. He's writing a different letter to a different group but he's speaking of similar things Philippians chapter 3 starting verse 7 but whatever were gains to me i now consider loss for the sake of christ a couple of greek words here so the word for gain means advantage the word for loss means damage Right, So he says, whatever I felt like was an advantage in my life, now I don't see it as an advantage. I see it as something that can do damage. So would you at least agree, whether you're all in on Jesus or not, would you at least agree that that's a huge shift? To say, well, that stuff was to my advantage and now it's doing damage in my life. That's a huge shift, right? So something caused him to make that shift, right? Something caused that. And why was it? He said, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss or damage because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost how many things? All things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know God. Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but how many things do I do? One. But one thing I do. And God's looking for people who will go all in on one thing. What is revival? It's one thing. So I thought about this really early this morning. Do you know why revival doesn't happen in churches a lot? It's because church people want to have balance. But revival is fueled by passion. And you can't have balance and passion. Nothing great ever happens in the world because of balanced people. Every great thing that ever happens in the world happened because of passionate people. Um, you ever heard of a group called Mad Mothers Against Drunk Drivers? You know how it started, right? It started because the woman who, got, who started mad had a son who was killed by a drunk driver. And guess what she didn't do the next day? Oh, God, help me be balanced as I approach this. She became passionate. She uprooted her whole life so that she could find herself standing in front of lawmakers in our country and pleading with them to not be balanced and politically correct, but to pass laws to stop drunk driving. People that were around her probably said at some point, would you stop talking about it all the time? Anybody in the room ever had people in your family say, could you just lay off the Jesus talk for a second? And if you've never had that happen, you're balanced. And I love you enough to tell you, you're making that much difference. Myself included. Revival doesn't come because of balanced people. It comes because of passionate people. People like Paul that say, you know what? I had a long list of things that were really, really good. And I now consider all those things as damage to me. Because they will all keep me from the one thing that matters. People are over here like, Paul, Paul, come on. Dude, you didn't really mean it like that's No, come back over here a little bit. Some balance, Paul, balance. He said, no, no, I don't want balance. I want Jesus. I want the presence of God to mark my life in such a way that when people are around me, they see and hear about Jesus. Revival will never come because of balance, and it will not stay because of balance. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem with the American culture, with our culture. I'm the same way. I've got the same. I look at my week, and I say things like this. God, if, if you really started moving through revival— How will I fit that into my schedule? You ever said that to yourself? How will I fit a community group into my schedule? How will I fit prayer into my schedule? And what God keeps telling me is you don't fit revival in. You don't fit Jesus in. Jesus is in, and everything else starts getting squeezed out. And even as I say it, because I know I'm practical just like you are, I can hear your mind's worrying how do i make that work and passionate people rarely ask that question doesn't make us bad it just makes us american (laughs) right our western mindset this is how this is so ingrained in our culture right this is why like you go to Seoul in in South Korea, and you'll see tens of thousands of people walk miles and stand in line for hours just to have their moment when the bell rings to walk in and pray. And then when the bell rings, they'll walk out and walk miles back home. Balanced people don't do stuff like that. It's so countercultural. I get it. I get it, which is why I told you what's going to happen at the end of this is the altars are going to be full. Because am I the only one, even as I preach it? And I'm just like, oh, God, I don't want to be balanced. I want to be passionate. And I also want people to like me. And people don't like passionate people because they're like, just tamp it down a little bit. Just dial it down a little bit. I used to tell youth groups all the time, when Jesus really gets a hold of your heart, your enemy is not the world. It's the person next to you in the youth group who will say, shh, you're making us look bad. And either they will change or they will leave. And I'm just telling you as a pastor, that's hard to say because I like y'all. I like what God's doing here. I don't want it to stop, but I also want it to be about one thing. We make room for what we value the most. That's what Paul was saying. And check this out. So we read all that, right, from Paul. He says, like, I take hold of one thing, I do one thing, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can somebody give me a golf clap? Go ahead. Because that's what we typically do. Like, if Paul was here and he read that, well, I guess he would just speak it, right? But if he said all that and he got to the end, he was like, I press forward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me upward in Christ Jesus, we'd be like, yeah. You go, boy. You go, Paul. That's so good. I love how God's moving in your life, Paul. Man, our pastor's on fire today. And then we walk out. Like, he's on fire, and I'll think about it. I just want you to see that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not give us that option. Next verse, all, how many? Of who? Us. All of us. Now, turn to the person next to you and say, that's you and me. Right? Oh, my gosh. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. He's like, if, if you're here and you're mature, that should be, I just read your life. It's all about maturity, right? Um, bye-bye, man cave. Because when, when, when the new life comes, if you have to make a choice, right? If you had to choose between a place for the baby and a place for my PlayStation, if you had to choose, I feel like I know the choice you'd make. Or you're living alone. If you had to choose. Not everybody has to choose, right? Some people just choose to play the game as they rock the baby, right? And mom might be like, if it gets the baby to sleep, rock on, (laughs) right? But if you had to choose, it's a no-brainer. I will give up everything I thought was valuable for this one new thing, this life, this baby that God has given to us. So, (laughs) point two because we're talking about maturity. Hang with me, watch this. As we blow up, and I don't mean any disrespect by that, but you know when you're pregnant, you do get bigger, right? As we blow up, we need to grow up. All of you who are mature should take such a view of things. It's about maturity. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, just jot that down. Paul says this in the middle of that love chapter. As we grow up, we put away childish things. Because the baby is coming, we might put away childish things. Things that were re- really good in a season, it's a different season. So we might need to put those away. We make room for what matters the most. As we blow up, we need to grow up. We need to have a mature, right, a mature view. So, Maybe I can't have both, and so I'm maturing. I'm going to choose to be present with my child as opposed to doing all the things I used to do before. Instead of purchasing things that I used to love, I'm going to now buy diapers and maybe even change them. Hmm. Let's not go too far, right? And nobody wants to buy diapers when they could have been buying fun stuff. But sometimes it's about a mature choice, and that's what Paul's getting at. So let's wrap this up um, with, with David. David was a man's man, right? And I don't know how you define man's man. I usually just define man's man as not me. That's how I feel, right? Like man's man is like those guys that are on all the Alaskan shows, and like they got beers down to here, and you know when you're, you're watching him, you're just like, if I could be around that guy, he would stink, Right? <laughs> They're like sharpening the axe, you know, the whole, they don't chain, what's a chainsaw? They're cutting down by themselves. They never have blisters. Like they're just big, burly, like man's man, right? And David, that's what David was. David was a man's man by all accounts. Um, he was a decorated soldier. He, could, he would kill thousands at a time by himself, y'all. Apparently, according to Scripture, he wasn't bad to look at. And on top of all that, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. I don't know. To me, that sounds like a man's man, right? Psalm 27. What motivates a man like that? What motivates a man like David? A man who is a warrior. A man who, man, loved the good things in this life. One thing. How many? One thing I ask from the Lord, this is David, this only do I seek, that I might kill more people, right, get more thrones, take over more countries, that I might write more psalms. No, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. How many days? All the days of my life. Oh, so okay, okay, I get it. You want to be in the house of the Lord all the days of your life because you want to do stuff there, move things around, be the man to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Is this what you thought coming? That's not what you expect to hear of a man like that. I've done all these things. I've got this long list of accomplishments. They're fantastic. I'm so thankful God used me. But honestly, I just want one thing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life, and I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. What does that look like? It looks like, I'm going to say a word, and I'm going to challenge you not to think of it the way you've always thought of it. It looks like prayer, y'all. We're just not all in on prayer because we're pretty sure prayer is boring and we never hear God speak. And I'm just going to say to you that, I mean, there's seasons like that. But for the most part, if that's what our prayer life is, we might be doing it wrong. We might be coming to God with a checklist of things that we think we're supposed to do when we come to prayer. Prayer is not about doing. prayer's about being. John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing but with me, Right? Abide with me. And when we have that relationship, we dwell with him, we gaze on his beauty, everything else just kind of fades away. You make sacrifices when that one thing matters. Um, l- let's wrap it up with this. I still remember the day that Wendy and I, we used to drive a, a white Chevy Corsica. Anybody ever drive a you remember that, what that car was, was like a four-door boring car we had gone to a dealership and i remember we prayed we were like god we had no money we're like god if you want us to have a car it has to be a hundred dollars a month or less and our car payment was 97 a month how many of you would take that right now right yeah and so then we love that little corsica we had some friends who bought one after us y'all have any of those friends that like their car they, they copy everything you do like you buy a car then they get a car and, oh my gosh you're stalking us whatever they, they bought the same car so we were like Corsica twins right and we're driving around and it was awesome and then we had Parker and Will which is awesome and since they were twins we had to get the twin stroller and I remember the day that we were packing to go somewhere and I popped the trunk to put the double stroller in and realized I couldn't put anything else in that was it and that was the day that will forever be the day from H-E double hockey sticks that we realized we had to get a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going to Lumsford and test driving a minivan and bless that guy's heart, he was driving us around. I had Wendy drive it. Cause he was like, he was like do you want to drive it? Not really. <laughs> She got the keys. She she cranked it up, you know, and um, she's driving around this little maroon minivan. And um, I'm sitting in the back. He's in the front seat, and he's he's doing the sales job. He's talking it all up, you know. And it's great. Look how much room there's. And you know she's loving it. And he just at one point he looked at me. He said, "So, uh, do you like it?" And I said, "No." (laughs) He said, "Why not? It's a minivan. (laughs) That's it, right? But we bought it." Because you make room for what matters most. Because it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about us having a small car that didn't need to fit a double stroller in. It was about this is what's in our life now. And these boys, man, they matter more to us than anything on the planet. And whatever we need to do, even trade a car in for a minivan, we'll do it. And... Full disclosure, the first time we had to pack that thing, it was awesome, right? Just throwing stuff in. We've got all the room we need, right? That lasted for a couple of weeks because stuff expands, right? I'm telling you, if you, want, if you want the presence of God bad enough, you'll have it. And everything else will find its place around it. But if you're trying to squeeze this in, and I say this, I say this as your pastor to those who are present and to those who are watching. And then when we get done, y'all want to come back up and let play a little bit. They're going to lead us in just a little, just a little bit of time of worship so we can respond. I, I love y'all enough to say that when they start to play and I put the mic down, I'm going to be right here. I've got to apply this to my life as well. Right? If I'm still seeing prayer as a program, it's a problem. It's not a program. If I'm seeing all the things that his presence wants to fuel as more stuff to add to my list, it's a problem. His pa- the passion we have has to be for his presence because passion is what changes things. And, and if you've heard me correctly, and I feel like you probably have, if we've heard the word of God correctly... We should all be sitting here right now going, what do I do with that? What do I do with this truth that I'm chasing many things? And the Bible says one. And all of these are super important. They are. But the Bible challenges me to ask, are they as valuable as the one? And am I willing to just let all that go for the one. Well, Paul, surely you don't mean I can't work so I can feed my kids. Well, of course not. Like, let's not be stupid. Like, the Bible is clear about things like that. But the Bible is also clear that seek first the kingdom. And, and how many things will be added? All things will be added to you. God's not saying ignore, He's saying focus. Focus on the one thing. And I'll take care of that. I'll take care of it. And so my challenge to all of us is to focus on the one thing. In our church right now, I get asked all the time, when are we going to start groups? Man, we need to start groups. We need to help people get together outside of Sunday. And you know what my answer is right now? Come to prayer on Wednesday night. Because I can only speak for me and now I won't even speak for others that have come and every Wednesday is different but when we couldn't gather as community groups that Wednesday night prayer group its my community it's our community right now and you'll find community in that place and if we go all in as a church seeking the presence of God we don't come on, on Wednesday nights with a list of things to pray about, we just come hang out with Jesus and then he almost always gives us a list to pray about because seek first and all it's amazing to me that as we go in on prayer guess what's going to happen he's going to help us know how to start groups he's going to help us know how to build a team he's going to help us know how to reach a city we're not chasing those things we just want i just want him y'all what is revival it's the presence of god That's it. It's as simple as that. It's the presence of God. And when we have the presence together here, and His presence is with us, and by the way, back here with your kids, guess what they're hearing today? That you're the temple. And that He's turning over the tables in your life because He needs to make room for Him in your life because you're the temple. That's where the presence of God dwells. Adults, you're the temple. He wants His presence in here. And when we have revival and His presence is in us, then it's here with us. It's there where we take it. That's revival. It brings us back awake so that we can help a city come to life. It's just His presence, though. That's what we're after. So we should probably pray. Right? Right? God, man... I talked way too long and I sure hope I didn't jack up what you wanted to say. But I'm asking you, God, to give us as a body a passion for your presence like we have never known before. I pray like Moses that you would not ever give us blessing without you. because. The blessing will never make us distinguished from the rest of culture, God. People are blessed all the time with stuff. I need your presence. And I pray that the gathering would be marked as people of your presence, God. I don't want balance. I don't want checklists. I want the passion of going after one thing. I want to be Steve Jobs who wears one outfit because he's that passionate he didn't even want to think about what he was going to wear so that he could put all of his effort into Apple. God, I want that about you. We want to be passionate like that for you so that you would find in us, and I pray, church, that you're praying with me now, not just listening to me pray, that you would find in us vessels who are so focused on you that you could pour anything through us to anybody you want to reach. Mark us, God, as people of your presence. Mark us, God, as people of your presence. And make you the only thing on our list.